Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Ricky and Milo. Hello, chaps. Good evening. Uh, Good to see you both. Um, I suppose, chaps, uh, any hopes that we had of a comfy cruise through our final few games evaporated at Villa Park, where we again only got going when the going got tough and we ended up losing 2-1 to an enthusiastic Aston Villa who are now on the same points and virtually the same goal difference as us. Um, Consider that when we lost to them at home, guys, uh, earlier this season, they were in a relegation battle and we were looking to clamp down on third place. So, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll be looking back at the game as well as some of the questions it raises. Plus, there'll be a dip into the week that was. Um, yeah, we've been talking here at the uh, Games About Glory uh, HQ, and uh, I think you're gonna. I think we're all just going to be diving in and throwing questions out and so on and so forth. We're all hosts. We're all participants. That's how we're going to run it for a few games now. So, um, so, so Milo, why don't you why don't you throw out a couple of questions here about the game at Villa Park? Oh, I was going to ask you about Eurovision and whether Sweden deserved to win, but um, <laughs> I haven't heard it. Was it good or not? I... No, I didn't like it. But what was um, it? She I had very long fingernails. Didn't she did. She? Like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I want high camp at Eurovision. So if it's um, the camper, the better, as far as I'm concerned. And um, Finland, Finland yeah, fan, were you? Yeah, Finland, Austria, <laughs> Croatia. Who was the campiest to lose? I'll go look them up on YouTube. Croatia, I think, was were um, and they're they're an art punk band. Although that wasn't what they were doing last night so yeah and wasn't there a terrible version of imagine i did see that blurted out all over the social media that someone uh, butchered imagine doesn't that happen every eurovision or not that that was that was quite moving the um oh the section at the end so anyway let's move on never trust social <laughs> media folks i should have learned that lesson in. 50, i did spend 60. last night think, trying to think of eurovision puns that we could use as a song as a pod title this week but um we don't have much use for congratulations or boom bang a bang at the moment do we so <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always say boom bang a bang somewhere that's yeah. such a great thing to say just I, I i feel i feel you should go ahead with the puns you had even if they don't fit it doesn't matter they'll be fun to hear so throw them out there i suppose, I suppose based based on yesterday we could have save all your misses for me <laughs> <laughs> why am i laughing it's so true good god comedy is the only way through this right anyway now, anyway Anyway, what did you think of the team selection yesterday and any tactical changes that you noticed? The team selection was unchanged, so yeah, go on. The team, the team selection was unchanged and I think that was like um, expected really. I think we did well enough against Palace and some interesting stuff at Palace with our formation and the way we were planning to carry on with that. Um, but I'm not sure. I think the other, I, mean, I think the big difference was really is that your team we were playing were probably going to be a better team. Um, mm-hmm. And I think tactically, I didn't see much change. They stifled us a lot more. I suppose they pressed a lot more than Palace um, and Villa are probably, Villa have got something to play for. Palace haven't really, they're mid-table, they've not really got much to play for. So, And the crowd get behind them at Villa Park. Um, but tactic-wise for us, I think it looks like to me that we'd, well, I think even Mason said this, is identified the high line and we were trying, we were reverting back to the um, Kane Sun axis of um, trying to release them beyond the last line of defence but um and Kane and they I think they tried to mark Kane but Kane definitely had time to get the ball to, to turn to try and release people but yeah that's mainly what I noticed Steph yeah I I you know I thought it was probably the right thing to do to stick to the same team shape I I, I like what Mason's trying to do in the sense of I feel that he's you know you, you sense he's trying to learn about exactly what we have whether that be for himself or for the for the next uh, person to come in uh as you said Villa are a much better team than Palace, much hungrier. And, you know, we were always going to learn a, a lot about this this new sort of like double system deployment. Um, 
and boy, did we learn about it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we really did, right? <laughs> I, mean, I think there was a couple of tweaks. I think we've seen this with Mason every single game. Um, last week when we had, we defended in a 4-4-2, I think this, this time it was more like a 4-3-3 with Porro. Yeah on the right of the three-man midfield, and then Sun playing higher higher up, which I think was probably tr- to try and spring that offside trap. Um, and then Kane was dropping into the pocket again, so it was Richarlison and Sun higher up. Um, so, that yeah, there was a change there. Um, I think the difference in opposition, Villa were pressing us, and they were closing off our passing lines into midfield, which we really struggled with, and they were having quite a lot of joy with turning the ball up, you know, high up the pitch. Palace sat off us a lot, so it gave us more time in build-up, which which we're comfortable with. You know that that struggling under under, under pressure, you know, under when we're pressed, has been a constant issue for us for quite a few seasons now. Yes, it um, has. And and I don't think it's something that can be done fixed with coaching, or certainly not fixed with coaching with a handful of games to go at the end of a you know a tiring season. Steph. Yeah, no, you you make a very good point. And before we we get into the next uh, the next question that that we have here, I, I think I'm going to throw a little one in because the two do relate. And I think we should start with that midfield, and we should start with uh, what we learnt about that midfield uh, in this game. And I mean, is it uh, first of all, uh, you know, I mean, particularly focusing on Skippy and Hoybier, uh, I mean, did you know? Did we learn anything new, or did we just see a more exaggerated example of exactly what we've already known? Um, what What do you think? Um, I mean, I think Hoybier has been poor. Actually, they've both been poor for quite, for a while. Hoybier, tired Hoybier, knackered Hoybier isn't very good. And he's looked really tired for a while. He's played a lot of games. I'm sure Benton Kerr being out has put more pressure on him. And obviously, Basuma's been out injured for a long time as well. So he's had to play. Yeah. Um, and I think all of the kind of everything that's wrong with his game when he's tired has been, has been evident for a while. And I think if he was probably playing. I don't know, 20 games for us a season and you're picking the right games, he'd probably be okay. But that's not the situation we've been in. So, you know, I think he'd be fine as a squad player. He plays too much and, and he, he gets scrappy and um, yeah, makes errors when, when he's tired. Skip, I think, I thought he looked quite good when he first came in for Basuma, but I think he's gone backwards a little bit. Um, I'm not sure that him and Hoybier are, are good together. I think maybe they're a bit s- too similar. Um but I think that's probably an issue with our midfield generally and that they're all a bit samey and we haven't got enough variety there. I thought Skip was poor yesterday. But yeah, like I said, I think he's been going backwards for a while. Um, and again, is probably a squad player at best, really. I mean, the only thing I'll add, I think obviously Hoiberg is seen as the kind of senior player with the ones that we've got fit. Mm. But um, I'd be quite happy with, I mean, if he needs to rest, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable, with, especially with the situation we're in, with the games we've got, I'm quite comfortable with Saar playing minutes, really, even if it's with Skip, to be honest. I think that's a, a, an OK, valid option. It's a real shame that we haven't seen him more since the San Siro, isn't it? It's just, yeah. I, I, I really feel for him because I think it's been a completely wasted season for him. We've yeah. barely seen him and he could have been out on loan playing playing all year. Um, and, you know, the hope was that it would be staying staying around and training with the first team squad. He'd get chances. It just hasn't happened. It's, it's a real waste. I, I felt one of the things that screamed out at me yesterday was that, you know, the way this squad, and we, we've talked about this, but I'll bring it up again. The way this squad was put together was so one dimensional in terms of the system and style of play it was styled for. And I thought yesterday almost showed Emery taunting us. It was like a taunting move. He's playing a high, flat line. I mean, it, it, it was it was so high and so flat. 
that all you needed was one someone who can technically pass quickly through the lines. Uh, and with with Benton Core out, and and let's face it, Benton Core is 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 he's a good passer, but he's not someone you look at as like you know a creative passing player. But he's probably the best we've got at this point. And you say. Milo with Hoybear being tired, he can't even produce those. It just really highlight for me what we're missing. I mean, and and I don't know about you guys, but we'll talk about the offsides. I know there are lots of them. To me, I was just as interested in the amount of times I saw Sonny breaking and having to check back because there was sort of like some three second time buffer behind him in terms of delivering the pass. And uh, we just uh, were unable, as you've said many times before, to play around the press or to find yeah. a quick ball through the right. press. And and uh, it's like Emery knew it. And he's like, ha, fuck it. I'm going to play this high line because the chances of you breaking it more than three times, you know, it's not going to happen. You don't have the players. And I think the problem you've got is that both of our central midfielders are players who normally need a second touch in order to control the ball. Absolutely. So if, you look, if you're looking to press and close them down, then you're on them by the time they've got the ball under control. So, and, yeah. And and then you don't have that option of playing forward quickly. And this is going to be a real a real issue for us next season. So, you know, I think we all hope that we're going to move to being a team that you know tries to play with possession, tries to control games a bit more. And that trans- transition from being um you know a team that sits back and plays plays on the break to trying to control games is very very difficult and you know you need midfielders who are comfortable receiving the ball on either foot and uh, and can control it with one touch absolutely and and we don't have that um uh, you know possibly you know, Basuma, Saar, Bentenker are probably the closest we've got to that yeah which and, goes back to what you said Ricky which is I yep. wish Saar was getting more minutes and and you uh Milo to mm. be fair and I mean, I think, you know for um, me God, so I'll just say I think for me you know a lot of people talk about needing a number eight and you know, an attacking midfielder. For me, the most important is someone who can sit at the back and receive the ball off um, off defence and, and dictate play and start play, attack, start play. And if we had someone from there, then you know you, those balls forward, those quick balls forward in behind for the players to run onto, we could do. And we just don't have that in the squad, really. Yeah, I think the option Sorry, we can Ricky. go for, I was just going to say, I think the option that we've got at the moment, because as you say, our midfield passes aren't that great, is the one obvious one where Kane drops in and then that's a lot more of a kind of mm-hmm. 10, 20 yard ball. But the other ones where we can expect it from is from the two other centre-halves with Longley and Romero, both capable of picking a pass, even if they push right. 10, 15 yards in. And Because I think Longley had a really good opportunity to make a pass, which I thought looked quite simple, and he just overkicked it to Martinez. So, I mean, that sort of goes back to what you're saying about the kind of synchronisation and the timing and the accuracy because Villa were inviting that pass there was a massive there's lots of green grass behind them I mean one thing I will give credit for they Villa they were taunting though, us <laughs> I mean I will give credit I mean their line was a bit George Graham like it was in other words you know sometimes mm. you get away of an offside because the defence is slightly out of line well theirs never seemed to be at all mm. they're like you know they had a close line across mm. the pitch there that was keeping them in line so but yes. But the opportunities were there, undoubtedly were there. And we just loads, weren't Loads of opportunities. So, so since Emery took over in at Villa in November, they've caught opponents offside 92 times, which is 27 times more than any other Premier League team. 
I mean, look, we'll we'll, we'll talk about Villa at the end, and I, I think and I think actually, of those, I think of those ninety two. I think sixty were us yesterday. Yeah, no doubt, no <laughs> doubt. And 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 again, we'll talk about Villa a little later. And I think actually Emery deserves a hell of a lot of respect for what he's done, and and could well be in for running for manager of the season if you were looking at things that have been you know dragged from the precipice of disaster and turned into like very productive efforts for a season. But I digress. I'm going to go back to a really interesting point that you made, Ricky, about you know we're looking, you know, we're looking at those uh, our centre backs. Uh, as you know people who can play those progressive passes i mean number one it's nice to have them as as potential passers but my word i wish our midfielders were those players and i don't blame those players it's not who they are we need those types of player in our squad next season but it does bring me to uh, a problem that occurred yesterday very early on um uh, the second that uh, romero uh, went I would say charitably, enthusiastically sliding in, you know, in the seventh or eighth minute, um, you saw disaster unfolding. I saw it. I don't think there's any any of us that didn't see it happening. Um, uh, look, the question I had was: Can Romero be our centre back leader, or will he need a senior or you know a partner next to him next season? Is he able to take on the mantle? I'll, I'll also dovetail that with the observation you made, Ricky. Do we also think he's just really fucking frustrated because he's seeing what we're not able to execute, and he's like, "Well, fuck it, I'm going to try and get this going higher up the pitch because we've got the." You know, we've got forwards ready to go. They're on the line. Let's fucking get this moving. And he just kind of loses his head. So uh, somewhere in there, you'll determine what I'm asking. <laughs> Can I just talk through the goal a little bit? Because I think... Yes, please. So I think it was partly down to that, that the hybrid formation. Um, we were caught between formations. So at the, at the time the um, Romero put the tackle in, we were in a three. So Villa overturned the ball in their half. They moved the ball out to their left, our right quickly. Royal pushes right the way up. And then, um, and then Romero comes in afterwards and goes to ground, uh, tackling Watkins. Um, so at that point, he's only got Longley and David, uh, Davis behind him. And it's, uh, it's three on two. Royal runs back. And I think one thing that's interesting. So it, it's, um, when it kind of skims off Watkins as Romero goes in, it, it lands to, to Ramsey and both Royal and Skip run past Ramsey when they could have put in a challenge in order to get back into defensive shape. And I think we could have, we could have broken ah. down play there. But okay. I think part, part of the issue of this is firstly, it, it caught us between the back three and the back four. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, we talked, I talked about this a bit last week with Romero in that ideally, if he's, because he's so aggressive, if you're playing him in the middle, you want two centre backs who drop behind him. Yeah. We took, we did um, talk about that at length and yeah. Royal going up. And then Romero yeah. going up leaves us short. And if sure. if Royal is behind him, then I don't think you have the same issue. So I think your question around whether you need a leader next to him, whether you you know, if you look at kind of Romero's performances last week, he was what an eight or nine out of ten. He had an excellent game this week. He was what a four, three, a four. I'm not sure. Um, and I think he's always going to be you know, a highs and lows player. And I think probably what you need around him are very very good spatially aware defenders because he's going to leave gaps yes they're going to need to read the game well they're going to need to be very comfortable in passing out because you don't necessarily want them running out because he's going to be high you want players who can pass the ball out play play balls over the top what have you and he's a a destroyer and then you have players around him who can mop up i think longley can be that i'm not sure about royal because royal's a fullback his instinct is to go to the man no, I, I, I think you're absolutely. I think that's a, an excellent breakdown of it, Ricky. I'm, I'm sure you've got something to to come in with. So before I go oh, on, basically, please I mean, come. I'm, 
it's it's a basic it's it's pretty similar to a classic Dawson and Ledley King situation, really, where Dawson would go mm-hmm. diving in, he'd attack the ball. I mean Romero's even on a different level to Dawson in the sense of going chasing for things. He was back he was he was seemed to be back to his frustrated best lot yesterday in that kind of heat seeking tackling that he does where he, he literally go you can almost see them come in the tackles, can't you? It's like mm. you think, Oh my god, he's got the look in his eye, he's going after that bloke. Nice. That kind I, of thing. I felt that it's at just, that man. The one on Watkins, it reminded me how he was against Haaland earlier in the season. Yeah. When mm. and actually, uh, that was a tactic. I'm sure that the the te- intention with on Haaland was for him to go out and disrupt him, and it worked because Haaland had a really poor game. And I think dangerous, pl- less dangerous part of the pitch. When he did that on Haaland, it was in their half, I, if I remember it, correctly. It's that, not that so, extra 10, it, 15 yards is I, so. Important I'm not talking about particular attack. I'm not talking about particular challenge. I'm talking about the tactic of him going out close and being aggressive and closing down. Yeah. So that, that, yeah, that's where my question about his judgment uh, and, and look I think a very interesting point and I believe this was said in The Athletic um, so apologies to I can't remember if it was Jack Pickbrook or Charlie Eccleshare and if it was neither of them then I take this credit away but it was a really good observation about um, you know maybe the similarities uh, in some senses between Romero and Jan Vertonghen and how you know Jan's first season was, 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 was solid and then he had a horrible second season because there was flux and turbulence around the club you know with, with, with AVB and Tim Sherwood and so on and so forth um, and they were sort of comparing and saying that maybe Romero is having that kind of season you know as much because of the instability around him he just seems like a player who really needs a stable environment beside him on the pitch and around him I mean as any player deserves i might say he's not unique to that so maybe that's just what we're seeing that he's a little off his radar you know yeah i think i think it's probably yeah that's that's fair um i mean i think he's always going to be you know hyper aggressive and i don't think we can take it out take it out of his game nor should we want to no it's about creating a you know creating or having players around him that complement that and can cover for his his weaknesses but I, i do think again he's it's another reason why I think probably you know the squad is built for a, a back three because you're asking a lot of if he's in a pair you're asking a lot of his partner if he's going to be charging around like that. I was going to say it's just hopefully I mean hopefully we, we're discussing who complements him currently but I think it's a safe bet to say that one or two centre halves are coming in the summer. So if we choose, so. choose <laughs> or we hope so because they do seem high up the yeah. list of priorities. So um you know um hopefully we we were sensible with that and we we and. And, you know, the people selecting new players are understanding exactly mm. the conversations we're having. You know what I mean? They're having the same ones. We probably need to make a decision early on as to whether he's going to play centrally on the right, yeah. though, because if he's playing in the middle, then it changes the pro- the profile of the wide uh, centre-backs you yeah. want. If he's playing wide, then you can have two aggressive wide centre-backs and one who sits behind. If it, If he's playing centrally, you want it the other way around. I know my preference, and I think it would be the preference we all have in a three, right? We'd rather see him aggressive uh, on the right-hand side with someone of a calmer, maybe. I mean, and this is the great tragedy of Eric Dyer, is that Dyer was... Dyer did a fantastic job last season next to him, and I won't have anybody say anything else. He marshaled him through. Uh, he marshaled our defence through. He was on it, and we, and we were really, really tight, and, and there was no no let up, and I thought it was excellent. It's just such a shame because Dyer's got the perfect psychological profile to guide Romero through these moments, but obviously he's done. It's not going to happen. So we need we need that calm. You know? I mean, my preference would actually be to play him centrally. Actually, I think I think mm. I'd, I'd prefer him in the middle, um, and just because I think there's it, it provides more balance. I think. Um, and back to your original question about um, you know whether he could be our leader or not. I yes. mean, I think you know 
of our current centre-backs that we own, he's the only one who's good enough to start for us next season. So I don't think the question should be whether he needs to be our leader or not. It's just that the rest aren't good enough. So you have, you know, he's the only one who survives. And and then uh, what we're talking about, the other players around him are all hypotheticals at the moment. You know, we've all got ideas of who we'd like to see come in and what have you, but we don't know who they are. So, dear God, you you have such you have such a good way of paring it down to 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 the absolute core uh, reality. I, I, I here I am sitting here floating along, thinking, oh, you know, it could be you know long lay and blah blah blah. Then you 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 drop the truth hammer, which is he is actually the only one <laughs> that's fit to start next season that we own. Dear God, oh boy, there's a lot of work to do, isn't there, guys? <laughs> ben Davis actually in a three. If we started the season and we had some young central defenders come in, it's fine, you know, as, as we're bringing through other players. So, yeah, potentially he's raising too. a flag of hope for me there, uh, Ricky. I can see that he's realised that too much truth in in a five minute spell could could knock me down at the knees, unable to get up. So, oh my god! I don't know. Just on a side note, then, are we all kind of thinking that we're worth paying the ten, twelve million for Longley? Are we all kind of signed up to that? Do you think? See. I mean, I quite like him, and I think you know his, his, his passing range is great. I mean, he's he's got things he's not very good at. Yeah, you know, we know he's you know, weak, less good at. Yeah. And yeah. and and if he's ten million, great. The only problem is I can't see how you go into next season if we if we accept that we need you know two or three centre backs. I don't see how you can go into next season with him and Ben Davis in the squad as well. Right. Because how do you fit them both in? You know, and Ben Davis yeah. is, you know, Ben Davis is a proxy, I suppose, in three positions, isn't he? But you, yeah. but come the end of next season, you don't really want Ben Davis to be starting games regularly, do you? This all comes down to the direction that we're going to head in, which, of course, is something that none of us can determine right now. My personal preference, mate, would be that we save that ten million and we actually spend it uh, on an exciting young centre back that we can develop and 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 bring through, and that Ben Davis is our experience option on the yeah. bench and our squad player because he's got you know i feel that that the way we run things it seems like that 10 million could be the difference between us you know picking up an indica or whatever and no one so i think i'd rather do that you know myself indica's out of contract in the summer so that's that wouldn't necessarily be a problem if he's excellent but that's good news i see good news is flooding back to the pod as we as we go (laughs) i i think it's i think it's easier signing new first team players than it is signing understudies because I think that the mindset of a player who comes in to yes. sit behind someone isn't necessarily what we need right now. No, so I'd rather right. I'd rather bring in younger players who are hungry. So someone who who who's their their idea is or you know their aim is to replace Ben Davis within ten games of next season. Yeah, find I think, their feet, I take that. that. That's that should be our approach. Well, yeah. no, another silver lining really is if we're looking for like centre backs uh, and we're looking for maybe established ones or good ones, is we can almost say to them, look, you're guaranteed to start because we've absolutely haven't got any. So we've only got Romero. Yes. So that's that is actually a selling point, really, when you think about it. You're coming in as a starter from that. But I'm quite um I think could we buy Laporte? Laporte would be available, wouldn't he? How much does he cost? <laughs> well, Wages would be a problem, wouldn't they? Well, yeah, I've got yeah. I like your thinking. I like I like your thinking and and look I, I think this is we'll definitely be getting into this in two games time I think yeah, when we yeah. sit down and have have the fun conversation about who can come in and who can't and uh, by the way for any of our listeners who complain that sometimes we try we, we put maybe a little more polish and smile on what is a fair has been a fairly miserable season um, it, it's a case of perspectives and and that's what you're going to get with us we're always going to try and look for perspectives so you know none of us are happy with what's happening right now but we do have to look for silver linings because otherwise 
realise what's the fucking point? What is the point of supporting a football club if all you're going to do is hammer on week after week about the miserable crap? So uh, if this is getting a little too happy clappy for you, off you go. Anyway, back to something that uh, we can complain about again. For <laughs> Back to those who like a moan. Um, let's look at Richie for a moment. Uh, I, I, I'm beginning to feel, I just don't know. He got little to no service yesterday. Um, he, re- I mean, you know, nothing really that he could. It was feeding on scraps. Um, uh, but should we be worried despite that? I mean, is there enough coming from him? Are you concerned that perhaps he's not going to be what we thought? Or do we again put him in the cadre of you're in the middle of this shit season and nothing's going right? And so reset in the summer, you're going to be fine. He's in the you know, shit season, first season. That's a step up. He's had massive injuries, you know, issues with injuries this season. So it's a really disrupted season. And up until recently, he's been chopping around between different positions all the time and hasn't really had a run anywhere. So I, for me, I think he's a good player. You know, whether he's good enough, you know, whether he's a squad player or a, a starter, I think is, is a, you know, is open, open to question. Um, when some was struggling for form earlier in the season, I would have liked to have seen him get a run in that position at that point. And, um, and, you know, I think when he came in, I was expecting him to be cover for Sun and Kane, and it hasn't really worked out that way. Um, and I think the part of the problem yesterday, you know, we're talking about kind of our, our struggles creating. Um, but if you remember earlier in the season when Conte dropped Decky and played Richie on the right, and we struggled to create then because, you know, you've got, apart from Kane, there's not a lot of creativity in that front line. And if you can, if you can cut off supply to Kane, then you've cut off supply to the, to the front line. And yesterday you, you had that situation. Plus, you know, we've talked about our midfield and, and the high press that Villa were playing and how we struggled further back. So I think part of the problem we had, you know, first, certainly in the first hour yesterday, was that you've got a rather flat front, yeah. you know, one-track front line other than Kane, um, and then supply up to them was getting cut off uh, by the press and you know, Villa being very good at closing off our passing lanes. Um, and that, yeah, that's what I see it as. So, yeah, I mean, he hasn't had a great season. I think he's admitted that. Um, he's, you know, if we want to press next season, you know, you'd want to have him in, in the team because I think Son and Kane would struggle with that game in, game out, particularly if we had, you know, if we've got two games a week, they couldn't do it. Um, so I think he's useful. I think he's really yeah. useful. But yeah, a season to forget probably. Yeah, my, I mean, my general observation with all the players that we signed like last summer and that is that I'm not going to judge them at all because it's been such a stormy season that, you know, it's it's hard to pass judgment with what's gone on. Um, Richie himself, though, um, yeah, I mean, we're not really that much of a creative team. I and mean, people say, oh, yeah, but we score goals. But it doesn't feel like when you watch other teams, there's quite a lot of attacking action going on and patterns and that. So it's quite hard for Richie to get involved sometimes. And then he then looks like that player that's just a physical player and he does a lot of hard yards mm-hmm. for the team. And I don't want him to be just that. And to be honest, I've watched him play no. for, for Brazil and he is more than that. So, um, uh, I mean, he'll oh, get probably yeah. slightly collared with the um, price tag. And like, as you say, whether he's a starter or not, when quite a lot of people say, well, look, that money needs to be a starter, as in, because, you know, if we're paying that for backups or things, then, you know, it's difficult. But yeah, I, 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 yeah I'm not going to, I certainly won't judge him this season. So... No, I mean, I've seen, you know, throughout this season, there have been, when he's played, there have been flashes of the skills and, and the and the bravado and, and, and sort of the balls that he's got. Like, you feel that he wants to nutmeg people and turn the corner and try and get around them. And you feel that oh, he's a confidence player for sure, right? I mean, he's definitely someone who needs the arm around the shoulder and he needs the love. And you do feel if he could get a run, 
in 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 the right place with the right service that we would really start to see him shine a bit more. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you both said that because uh you know there's you know, as as there are these little negative drum beats build up. You know, oh he's not he's not is he going to be what we thought he was? And I agree, you can't judge him on this season. And, and as and, you've both said, you can't judge anyone on this season really. And the other thing, <laughs> and the other thing, character wise, he a hundred percent will pull in the right direction mm. all the time. He's you you can't you, you can never question for that. He's got that real fire inside of him to like do everything he can for the team he's never going to take like a day off or you know dial it in or anything i heard someone say after the palace game last weekend he spent a good five ten minutes with the fans in the in the um stands afterwards taking selfies and signing stuff and what have right. you and making making himself available so Lovely. i think in terms of his his kind of attitude and um just how he is i think um i think he's very positive um i love that yeah, I love that stuff. By by the way, and this is breaking protocol completely on on several counts because we're going to appraise a West Ham player, and we're out of context of anything we're talking about. But we are near the end of the season; we can do these things. That Declan Rice moment that went on social media was really good, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he gave Sweet, it, when he went it? up to yeah. the kid and he was just yeah. so just just really like gave him his time and forget about the shirt. He gave him his time. I thought it was I thought it was great. And and, and so you say that Richie's doing that in the main stand with fans. I love that. I love to hear that. More I, of I think actually, I think actually, if you look at this kind of generation of of England players on the whole, they're all very, they're all like that. You know, it's not yeah. like um, you know a couple of generations ago when you know they were all I don't know, thought they were better than they were and all a bit aloof yeah. and what have you and just really difficult to warm to. Um, no, but I mean, you, you know, you put John Terry in a team with anyone, they're difficult to warm to. But <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really have that issue with this generation of no. Of you know, rivalries aside, you know, <laughs> I'll kill out. I'll kind of you know, Saka and players like that. I I don't mind. I don't dislike them like I've I disliked kind of former oh. generations of Arsenal players. You know, they seem like nice lads. I agree. I look at Declan Rice and I just think, wow. I mean, I've always thought he was okay, and then you see something like that, and you're like, what a top bloke, and more of that, please. And, I just and by the way, more, my, yeah, I just think they're quite a grounded uh, generation, aren't they? That 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 this yeah. current crop. Yeah. yeah, my mate ran into him in a, in, in in a chippy in Kingston, which is a, a few years ago now, which is where he lived, and he said he was lovely. You know, you like you like that. You like to hear that. And this goes back, folks, to when we say don't individually abuse players repeatedly over and over and over. It's because if you do, you kill those connections, and we want those connections, mm. and we want them with our players, and and we want them with all players, as you say, Milo. This England generation, it's really important. So anyway, uh, I think we spun off that, or I spun us off that from. Uh, you saying that you know Richie was in the stands talking mm. to fans, or not in the stands, but after the game talking to fans, which is, which is great. Um, and and this seems like the sort of question that that you would ask. Uh, should I ask uh, it? So, uh, did did well, Decky and Basuma improve us when they came on? Do you want to answer your own question first? Because I think yes. that would be a, a, a first. Go for it. Yes, they did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought Basuma. I thought Basuma particularly was excellent and. I was a little surprised that he was in the squad. So I knew, knew he was training with the team last week or with the first team last week. And I think that's the first time he's been training. Mason was asked about it in the press conference before the game. And he'd said then that um, it was a little early for Basuma, but they wanted him to feel involved. I assume that that was kidology. Um, and you, because if that was the case, then he wouldn't have been in the squad. I thought you know, he was excellent. On the ball, excellent in possession. He used the ball a lot smarter. His passing was better. Um, I don't know about his fitness, but if he's fit enough, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him starting, you know, 
maybe next weekend or you know against Leeds uh, because I thought he made us a lot better. And yeah. that's really good because, again, he's another one who's really struggled this season. I think he's he struggled to adapt to Conte's automations, and that's why he he didn't really get many chances. And you know, we're not playing quite in that way now. And I think maybe with a bit more freedom and a bit more license to do what he's good at. And you know, at Brighton, he was one of the best central midfielders in the league. Um, yeah, if we can get him back to that then we've got a really, really good player. And again, you know, we talk about the squad we rebuild in the summer. If we can get the Brighton Pesuma playing, then that's a starter for us. That's a starting player because we we have to pay a fortune to get someone better than that. Yeah, yeah I was impressed when Pesuma came on and I think it was... Um... I don't know if I said this in our chat, but I think it's just—I think he was another one of the ones that was just victim of being a robot under um, Conte. Mm. And I think if we can throw those, if we can like delete the old firmware off him and get him a fresh start. But when he came on, he looked like that. The thing is—is <laughs> is that like the computer you're doing this pod on that? Yeah, <laughs> deprogram it. And I think I think also the problem is is when you're signing players for a manager who trains as repetitively and intensely as that and and is so prescriptive about what he wants on the pitch, Mm. it must be very, very difficult to get an idea of whether a player can absorb that or not until you're training them. Because how do you scout for whether a player can learn those routines or something like that unless they're playing for, unless they're playing for a manager who plays in a similar way. And I think with him, they've, I think with him, they've looked at a player who looks really good, he's athletic, good on the ball and thought, yeah, great. He's got the skills. And then he hasn't been able to learn it. I would say that anyone recruiting for an Antonio Conte team should actually put uh, their perspective signing under the water water drip uh, torture for, for two hours at a time and see how they handle it uh, whilst handcuffed to a chair and uh, and 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 listening to uh, let me see listening to Ario Speedwagon yeah two hours of that and uh, and every day for for you know uh, repetitively for a week and we'll see if you have the mental strength to play in an Antonio Conte side I hope that makes it. I hope that makes the edit. I have plenty more to say that I've been learning about Antonio. I have to tell you since then, but not now. You'll be pleased to know. I was going to say, if we're signing youth players, we've got a you know, prospective 18-year-old kid. You put them in a vest and tell them to stand still while the other players train around them. and just. <laughs> um, yes, and you, then do 90 laps of the pitch afterwards I, <laughs> for I, your I, troubles. It's, <laughs> it's something I forgot to mention. Something I forgot to mention last week when we were talking nice. about the under 21s getting re- getting relegated. And you do have to wonder how much Conte using them as cones and disrupting their own training played in that, in their no, relegation. I, I'm, this not, season. I'm not sure we have to wonder that much at all, frankly. We're, we're building up to one, aren't we? But we probably shouldn't go early this week. We've got that at the end of the season. But there's a lot to say about things that we're learning. Uh, and maybe we already subconsciously knew. Like, I think um, Ricky's got a lot to say and he can't get it in edgeways. Ricky. <laughs> Oh, no. I would say it's almost like Conte turned us into some kind of version of Westworld, really, wasn't it? You used to watch Westworld, where it was just all like (laughs) computer drones. They looked like humans, but they just weren't. And it was like you went in for like updates all the time and that kind of thing. But um, um, no, but but the other thing I quite like, I'm going to get back to Bazuma and Decky because I thought. uh, I was going to say, I think he turned us into West Brom, not Westworld. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Boom. Excellent. Yeah. Well played. Good I love one. that. That's yeah. that is perfect. Yes, yeah, very good. Yeah. That's no one's going to beat that this week, mate. We just got to continue on. <laughs> but remember that for the end of season. That's got to be a, a, a subject title. All anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Go on, mate. Get in there. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, the other thing I like about Basuma is, uh, without being at the cliche thing, but he's got a really good kind of, he's one of these, he's got good physical strength, but he's got really good center of gravity, I think. He's, he's mm-hmm. quite, he just moves really up, he's really good, and he's good at deceiving people and just using his, his strength to his own advantage. And I think we saw quite early on in when he came on that. He can definitely do the in between the lines pass if he wants to, if he's if he's allowed to. Well, should I say? I, I, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, that that everything you're both saying is right. And I made a note in our chat thread, and within five minutes of him coming on, and I said I've seen more progressive play from him in five minutes than I have in nine months. And this goes back to everything you've both been saying, so I won't repeat it other than to say tune in in a few weeks time and I will be repeating it with a bit more rancor towards the person I blame for it but I mean I two things about the subs as well number one I love to see early subs in a mm-hmm. situation where you need to change a game so credit to Ryan Mason there uh, and uh, secondly yeah I mean you put a creative player on or maybe a more creative player on who's still by the way in Decky trying to find his feet and I thought showed you know shoots of progress yesterday in, in trying his confidence at least is coming back to try some of the shots he, he used to put away with a plum and the combination of the pair of them suddenly as we've all been seeing we're managing to make progress through this flat line and we're actually giving Emery a little bit back he's been taunting us with this high line forever and all of a sudden it's like oh well I may not be able to do this uh, too much longer because they now got players on the pitch who can do something so yeah I think they both uh, looked much more progressive and I agree with everything you've both said about about Bissouma. and and I think yeah, when we were talking about what was going wrong uh, so far in this pod, I think both of, yeah they solved two of the problems we were ident- you know, we'd, uh, identified yeah. there. We think there was up until that point. Mm. And Decky isn't you know, a player who's necessarily going to run in behind. He's not the quickest. But what he can do is hold up the ball and then start a second phase of attack. And that helps us with that high line yeah. because he's not, he's not looking to get run beyond it all of the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame for Decky, I think, because um, I thought last season it was impossible for him to have a bad game because he just looks such a player. And it, I was really mm. surprised how he's kind of dropped off this year. But I think, as you say, his rate—I mean, his radar's just been a bit off, much to his own kind of. Because usually he's cursing himself, isn't he, yeah. when he does? He just swings it out of play or something, like cuts inside. Because he's usually got that sweet mm. left foot where he can cause all kinds of troubles with a shot or a cross or a combination of both. Like just really a tricky part, a tricky in swinger to deal with. But um, uh, but yeah, they definitely made it. They definitely made a difference because I thought when we came out after second half, um, I was hoping for a reaction. It didn't really happen. Um, and it was only re- I suppose mm. it was only when we led up to the cane chance, wasn't it, where we then kind of started mm. to turn the corner. I think. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that with Deck this season and again this flows back into the point we made 10 minutes ago about what a shit show of a season it's been and we really can't judge anyone truthfully on it um i would say that if all the players uh who dealt with world cup uh action or inaction he probably suffered the most he seems to have been the player whose uh you know world cup was not managed the best if you will I, and i don't know why that is because it seemed that you know he was hanging in with some form beforehand and then he got hurt right he had the injury um and it seems like there's been some sort of shortfall in, in prepping him back from the injury versus the lack of games to find rhythm and he's just never been able to get going since then and and it's an interesting it's just another consequence of this bizarre season yeah i mean he wasn't the best before i mean you know he got dropped for richardson didn't he at the beginning of the season um so it's much been to stopped. our confusion if yeah, i remember yeah. we were all sort of scratching it's our heads and i wonder really. if that affected him a little bit but, i wonder if that affected him a little bit and he but, was like, but also mm, but also man. i think i also think there's a, you know, there's a degree of second syndrome second season syndrome here right. in that he was so high in that kind of first half season he had with us um it was gonna be very difficult to uh to continue at that level and you know 
repeating my own old lines as I say this, you know, quite a lot, but, you know, progress isn't linear and, you know, it's not a straight line. There will be dips along the way. And I think that's what, that's all that's happened this season. He's a good player. He'll come back fine. He's going to be back. And I think he also is another player um, uh, who suffered incredibly from uh, from Bentoncourt's injury because they both had a really good read on each other. And Bentoncourt had a really good read on him, obviously. And I thought that they managed to find each other very well uh, when, when, you know, when switching, uh, when switching play and, and bringing, uh, and, and, but yeah, basically attacking. Yeah, I think the other thing actually is I think it's particularly common with uh wide young wide players in that they have they're very very good when they break through because other teams don't know quite how to defend against them and then after after they've been there for a while teams know how to play against them and then they have to adapt again they have to have another thing to do and i think that's probably what we're seeing and a new manager coming in in the summer a decent pre-season hopefully he's you know starts the season fit a couple of new ideas about how we play and he'll start getting chances again and get that extra yard which he needs I was just going to say, I can see that with Decky. The only thing that I would sort of say to contest that is that he's, I just thought he, he, which is hard to combat, is that he was just such a smart player. You know what I mean? He was such a clever player that sometimes it's quite hard, even if you've got a plan for a player like that, to kind of stifle them. But um, I don't know. If, I'm sure we're going to, I mean, we're guaranteed to sign him, I think, aren't we? So um, he's going to carry on. And he's at the right yeah, age. Absolutely. Keep absolutely. He's still young. We so, you know, be, he's still young. We would be very foolish not to, unless we have some incredible incredible talent lined up to take his place and i can't see that i think all that juventus rumor i think it's all bollocks i really it's it's come from a certified bullshit artist there's an italian (laughs) twitter user who pretends to be a journalist who makes up 500 bullshit stories a day about all of the you know kind of every club in europe and then occasionally and occasionally um obviously it gets retweeted or someone lifts yeah. it and shares it and uh you know and the context changes and then newspapers that or you know websites that are desperate for content and clicks um lift it and run the story and then it gets recycled and then so that's all it is it's it's a certified 100 percent gold you know gold star bullshit like artist there's nothing in it are you, t- are you talking about Donald Trump's town hall with CNN? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about as valid and credible as that is what I'm getting, which is great and good news for us, I think. Um, let me let me slip this question in before the one that's scripted. Harry Kane, uh, we can't go through uh, without discussing him here. Um, obviously, he missed uh, what I think was a, a food and drink chance for him, and I think he'd be very, very disappointed with that. But we can't, you know, we, we hold him to such a high standard. I mean, you're allowed to miss one. I, I am interested, though, in in your thoughts on um, on the penalty. I mean, my, my, I have to say, my my initial thought was, yes, technically it's a penalty, but he's absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I love rare. It. Am I, I to love it when you do him. this? I love it when you do this. But technically, he, it's a. It was a it, but he has it, bought it, hasn't he? I mean, he's bought that no, penalty. It, it, he knows exactly what's coming, and he knows, and he knows exactly well, that's what, what every, is necessary. That's what every good forward in the world does. So, well, if, you're, yeah, if we're taking it off him, we'll take them all off everyone else as well. Well, yeah. I mean, he didn't get cleaned out from behind and know nothing about it. I mean, I, I'm saying that it was. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So I'm so I'm in the minority here when I say that was what I would call a clever penalty. Yeah, but that, I think that's, that's I what think everyone you, does. 
he's not cheating. What you're, you're, what you're doing is playing on the rashness of the other person and you're reading that and right. you're going to create the situation. I'll right. do that all the time. That's fair enough, I think. You literally, sometimes you'd yeah, even... Which, which, which begs you'd, the question... You'd semi-slow semi down to trick the person into like then, you know, all kinds of... Yeah, well, he like did that. that several years ago at, at, at the Emirates and actually got caught by um, by the defender whose name I can't remember. Do you remember that? It was 2-2 and in the last minute he got taken out because he actually... He was ahead of the defender and he actually slowed up and the guy took him out from behind mm. and everyone was like it's a dive it's yeah. a dive and i'm like well no he's yeah, allowed to slow that. down when he's running with the ball if he's the guy's behind him it's up to him to stop too that's sort of like when you rear end someone you know when you're driving <laughs> if you have to look ahead and see that they've got their brake lights on yeah. so you don't hit them right but anyway i am digressing okay I, I wish in that case harry had realized that in martinez he's got one of the most irrational goalkeepers in world football and i wish he didn't i wish he'd invited those situations a little more then to be honest because they were surely there for the taking um yeah. you know i gotta ask you did you feel that he was a little flat yesterday um you know his passing was a bit off uh, when Sonny went through and hit the post in the first half i felt that was a pass that harry usually makes a, a split second quicker and then Sonny's on side uh, does he is he just tired is he just getting dragged into it yeah. am i thinking too much about it yeah he was fine the week before i think you know the whole team was off the rhythm wasn't there right yeah, we can't expect him to do it on his own every week. No one does. No. So yeah, I think no, I um, I, he, he's got the most match-winning contributions of any player in the league this season. Um, and so I think, is it 12, I think, individually? Um, Haaland's got 11, I think, from memory. And, yeah, he's, what, is he seven goals behind Haaland for the season when you think the kind of difference in terms of creativity in the two teams he's play, yeah, they're playing in? Um, yeah. I do wonder if they swap places, whether Kane would be getting the same kind of number of goals as... Harland, I think I think almost certainly he would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he would. Yeah. Ivan Victor, a long-time British listener from Southern California, wanted to know what our hopes and expectations are for the rest of the season. Uh, by the way, Ivan, thank you so much for your kind words about the pod. They are much appreciated, mate. So, um, final two games, expectations, chaps. Um, um I think we're um, going to finish. I think. Go on. I think we're going to finish sixth. I think we're going to finish sixth. So, if we. If we look at the games remaining, so Br- Brighton have got it's obviously a fantastic result for them today, and well done for us all. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Brighton are on a sixth at the moment on fifty-eight points. They've got the most games left, but the games left are Newcastle, Southampton. So Newcastle away, Southampton at home, Man City at home, Villa away. Um, we're a point behind them. We've got Brentford at home and Leeds away. Villa have got Liverpool away. They're on the same points as us. Liverpool away and Brighton at home. Well, Villa and Brighton can't both win that last game. Um, Brighton, Newcastle, and Man City are key. So it's 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 going to be it's going to be tight. But we really ought to be. I mean, Brentford, I think, are only four points behind us now, um, and I think they're an effective team. Um, but we really ought to be beating Brentford and Leeds, as particularly Brentford at home. So you want sixth place and European football? I want European football absolutely at all um, costs. Would you take the conference or not? I'll take any any European football. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, what how I would treat those competitions is probably slightly different. But yeah, of course. Okay. okay. Um, I've I think I've said other weeks I'm pretty indifferent about it to be honest. Um, and I didn't think even a few weeks ago we'd probably be lucky to break sixty points. Um, because I don't think we're playing. We sort of improved, but we're not particularly getting wins. And I'm not 
European football? Usually my European football starts with looking on Wikipedia to see where the final is for each tournament and then thinking if I can imagine myself there having a good time. And I think the... Um, I like that. Yeah. And I think the Europa League's in Dublin next year. And so that's oh. quite good. I think Champions League's at oh, Wembley. Man. How boring. Don't want to be in that. That's rubbish. Yeah. But I don't know where the Europa Conference League is yet. But um, I'm not too... I don't know. I think I think I think Brighton very much deserved their Euro, uh, uh, very much paid for their Europa League ticket today. I was very pleased with that. They can um, they can enter the Europa League with a three 0 win at Arsenal all day long, if you ask me. Um, but how I don't know. I mean, we just plod into the end of the season. Really, I just I don't know what kind of expectations to have. Really, I'm just looking forward to the new regime, whatever that may be. What about you, Steph? Oh. I. Sorry, I was looking up. I was trying to look up the final, actually. Uh, it looks like it's set to take place in Athens, actually. The Europa Conference League final is going to oh, take place in Athens, apparently, in 2024. Yeah, which to me just seems, uh, I mean, that that's a, that, that's a pretty great, uh, that's a pretty great venue, isn't it? Yeah. And given that we will probably be in that competition at best, in my opinion, uh, I'm all for it. The, the Proletariat League has always been one of my favourites. I've spoken fondly about it in the past. <laughs> Proletariat Champions League. No, my, my expectations, what I want from the final two games of the season is I want... I want to see answers continue to come in terms of what we, you know, what we definitively need versus what we definitively don't need. Um, I want the club to form a direction in those final two or three games. I would like to have a sign. I'd like a sign. Are we looking at slot? Are we looking at Ricky? Are we getting close? Do we have no fucking clue? Um, I, I don't know. Park that because we're going we're to pick that up later on on managers. Um, yeah. Okay, I would like more. Defi- I would like more definitive direction from the top as we see out this season. I, my my hope is that by the time we wind things up at Elland Road, we have a clear plate. Uh, sorry, a clear vision of what where we're going, who's going to be staying, and who is going to be going. That's an awful lot to expect, I suppose. I but that's what I would I, like. I don't see how that happens because the manager's not going to be in place until after that. So well, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that there's a director of football that could come on board uh, that we're going to hear about or know about. Maybe I'm just looking for a sign, Milo. I think all of that happens after the end of the season. And you'd hope that it happens pretty well, quickly after the end of the season. Yeah, but I don't think okay. it's going to happen I, in the next two games. Okay, well, I, this is my. these are my hopes and expectations. And, and let it not be said that they have been unrealistic in the past. Uh, they most certainly have. I Probably most of my life, my hopes and expectations are unrealistic in the positive. And I, but that's, that's what I would like. I would like, even if it's, even if it's like, I don't know, fourth level grade bullshit, i.e. not total bullshit, but certainly not not bullshit. You know, t- just let's see a little positivity come back around the club. I would like to see that. I'd like to feel that that is coming from a legitimate source. Um, let's hope. And again, in terms of the playing staff, I really want to have a clear idea of who's of who I would like to see in and, and who's out. And I think that you, we, I think Mason is doing that. He's clarifying so things. You, you want a clear idea. I want a clear out. Um, yeah, and, and, and somewhere in the middle we meet because I also want that. And you know, this has been a very painful few months for me in terms of recognising that Eric Dyer is part of that clear out. <laughs> No, I'm absolutely. I'm being absolutely right. There's, there are. These are parts of the painful rebuild that that Potch talked about many, many years ago. And you know, it's time. 
And so who of the old guard is going to survive that clear out? Well, he ain't. Hugo isn't. And again, we're getting into yes. other territory. So yeah. clarification is what I want. I want right. to know where we are and where we're going. What did you think of Villa? I personally thought yeah. they looked really, really good. I thought they were really well organised. Um, I think he's, uh, I think Emery as a manager has done a, a tremendous job, uh, you know, harnessing the, the the players he does have and making them extremely effective. I thought they were very good value for their win. Uh, quite honestly, I think they could have won by, uh, you know, another goal. Maybe they were certainly worth it for that first half. I mean, they certainly, you know, they had everything dialed in first half. Their levels of aggression and energy were very impressive considering it's the end of the season, albeit they have a European target. And look, I think they're I think they're a really good side. And what really shocked me was, you know, that is our that's who we are next to right now. And we need to accept that. And we need to understand that next season, that's what we're dealing with. We have to propel ourselves forward beyond the villas. You know, we need to be realistic. This is our competition. As much as we don't want to admit it, it is. Um, Emery uh, Villa. Um, I, I, no, I've always quite liked Emery. He's, um, he has a slight comedy factor about him that then makes me not take him 100% seriously. He likes a bit of a, stringer, a, str- a chin stroke and he likes a bit of a kind of Bruce Forsyth mm. kind of face. But he's yes. a trophy winner, so you never knock him for that. He's had a great relationship oh. with the Europa League and Seville. And, mm. uh, he, and fair play to him. He didn't... He, well, he might have got it right at Arsenal if he'd have stayed there longer, but he he he's had a time in the Premier League, gone away and come back, and he's making a success of Villa. I think they said in my commentary that um, I think when he arrived, they had the same points as Southampton. I think when he arrived, and now yeah. they're looking at coming six or pushing for six or seventh in the league. So um, he's definitely yeah. putting them in the right direction. And I, you know, you, you just got to compliment him for that. I mean, any any manager that's um, getting a consistent run of results out of their players is doing something well. And I think. They said as well in the commentary that he's quite famous for his um, two-hour sit-down um, cinema sessions, going through tactics and everything else. I think, um, and it looks to be it looks to be paying off. They they, they seem quite a together team, and you know, team spirit-wise as well. And the crowd are enjoying it. So yeah, and yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's and, and just to add, I mean, when I say that Villa are our mean average right now, and this is our direct competition, it doesn't make me happy to say that. You know, had things been a little different this season, we would be where I think we should be, which is fighting for that, well, fighting people off for the top four and we'd be in the top four. But I think the only way we move forward is to recognise that yesterday's game was a bit of a definer for where we currently sit. That That's that's what I meant when I said that about Villa and, and us maybe being on par, just to clarify. Um, I think Emery's done a decent job there. Um, I think their results are a little bit better than they are. I think uh, Watkins particularly has overperformed over the last few months. I don't think that I don't think that would be sustainable long term. Uh, but that's not to take away um, from kind of you know what he's done. And you know they're very well organised. and They're difficult to play against. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, they've spent quite a lot over the last few years, haven't they? So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know kind of long term. Uh, yeah, how they'll oh, do. I agree with that. You know, no, you know I they, agree with that. They, they could be anywhere between you know fifth and. 17th yes. next season and I wouldn't be surprised um, so I, I don't know how sustainable it is but yeah they've done great since he came in they remind us of Martin Yolas in a way right now they're where they're going to be pushing for you know they're push, pushing for Europa League and pushing for that but it, it really took something beyond Martin to get us to that next level and yes I agree with you <laughs> whether they can do that or not I don't know I mean we most certainly can and we need to and we need to look at Aston Villa and be like wow we should not be on par you know we should not be on par with Aston Villa we should be comfortably beating Aston Villa that that's what i think so anyway well should we do closing thoughts because we forgot to do this last week 
One positive, one negative, 30 seconds. Who's going to go first? Positive for me uh, was Ryan Mason making early substitutions to try and change the flow of the game. I thought that was really good and I thought it nearly, nearly worked. I mean, we were, sadly, an offside from actually getting a point that we probably didn't deserve. Negative was a first half where our timing was so poor in terms of springing the offside trap that was there to be sprung that we ended up with a (laughs) 0.00 XG, apparently, which uh, that has to be a uh, that has to be a low, right? That's a huge negative. But anyway, Ricky, uh, my positive was it was good to see Pasuma Bank. Very happy about that. Um, and I'm surprised that he was back, and I think he done okay. And also another mention for our away fans yesterday, because I did hear them a lot, and we were probably behind for most of the game. So um, fair play yeah. to them that they're not too dispirited about stuff, and it's maybe they're feeling a bit more comfortable under Mason being in charge because Mason is clearly one of us. Um, the negative, I don't know really. I mean, the negatives would be sort of similar to other weeks. One level should be lost, but I think the other negative in the game is I begin to particularly. I think Peter Banks is becoming another ref that I don't really like very much but you know that's it um positive I, I was going to say Basuma being back um so I think it's a massive positive if he's if he's fit it makes a difference to our midfield and um you know gives players gives our midfield a rest which they desperately need or you know, one of our midfields the rest that they desperately need negative yeah just a lukewarm performance really and whilst it was a bit better for the last half an hour it still wasn't really good enough and um yeah yeah just just shows how big the job is in kind of rejuvenated the the side and um and the squad generally right indeed uh so uh let's move to a, a quick run through the week's news if we can the week that was and you know what i'm going to hand you this to read milo if you don't okay. mind, just because there's a couple of words in here that that you read with a particular verve and and and, and passion and i really enjoy it i enjoy listening okay. to it. so i'm going right. to sit back and enjoy listening to you reading this <laughs> so friday evening the beat journos all had stories saying that we aren't interested in julian nagelsman and haven't spoken to him about the manager's job. This appears to be bullshit, or at least the bit about us not talking to him or or his reps. Uh, But where does this leave us with the manager hunt? The remaining candidates appear to be Luis Enrique, Arnie Slot, Ruben Amarim, Roberto De Zerbi, or Javi Alonso, or is Ryan Mason in with a shout? Or could Graham Potter or Brendan Rogers be in consideration, but have so far avoided the attentions of the papers and uh, in the know, ITK. <laughs> so what do you think, guys? Has Levy fucked it? Are we getting nervous? And who would you like to pick? Or who would you pick? Go on, Steph. Steph, go on. Has he fucked it? Uh, Are you nervous? Well, I, I, of course I'm nervous. I mean, how could I not be? I mean, my practical side is, is, is incredibly nervous. My, you know, my lemons and auras and happy side says, ah, he's learned his lesson. He's going to get it right. But we have no evidence to suggest that other than this tenuous hope that Scott Munn is going to come in and be the bridge and, and, and like, you know, uh, make help make footballing decisions. And I think you uh, pointed something out um to us milo that you know there is this word that we're using outside consultancy um to 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 get this appointment right and i'm hoping that that also includes the director of football because that's the most i think that's uh, well i think we all agree that's probably the most important appointment now uh is to get that one correct yeah and the club have denied it so there was a story a few weeks ago that we're using sportsology uh group who um helped man united get uh ten hag last summer um and they're run by uh, an ex Chelsea director um yeah I mean the club have denied it but they probably would um I hope I hope we are because we need some help with these things I I think the other thing thing worth saying is that we know that Munn is 
is working for us, although he's meant to be on gardening leave because him and Levy were spotted at um, London City Airport uh, a week or so ago. Um, pre- yes. I think flying out to Germany, but um, yeah, yeah. Yes, they certainly wouldn't be going to Ibiza for a lads weekend, would they? That's not. <laughs> so yeah, we can safely say they were working. Well Look, I, uh, the candidates I'm looking at, I mean, Deserby. You know, as much as I don't like him uh, necessarily as a person, I am forced to admit that he would be uh, excellent for us. I think it's unrealistic. I don't think he's going to, I don't think for a variety of reasons he would be there. I'm looking at this list and I think Amarim looks like he's, you know, very real. Slot looks like he's very real. I would personally uh, be really happy if we were considered Grand Potter. I don't think that's real. I don't think that will happen. And, uh, you know, with with Ryan Mason, look, I'm just, again, this is my desperation. I just want to feel again from top to bottom that someone loves this club and wants to be there and wants to bring us to places and understands us. So my emotional side says, yeah, I'd be delighted with Ryan Mason, but my practical side tells me, don't be such an idiot. This is probably a job too soon for him. Uh, and, and we, we, you know, to throw him to the walls like that would be so cruel. So, you know, th- there we go. Does that give you any further clarification? <laughs> probably <Ricky? not. laughs> um, I'm with you on that, Steph, in the sense of, well, I'm with Steph on the kind of reinvigorating the romance between the kind of dynamics of clubs and fans and that. Um, What I would say is I'm not really, I don't think Levy's fucked it and I don't particularly, and timescale wise, I'm not that bothered at the moment because for all we know, I don't know, 50% of our directors of footballs and managers could be in jobs. So we're not really going to do anything until the end of the season to those people. So, um, uh, so, and the season's probably got another two, three weeks to go once the finals have all finished. Um, But so, I'm not really, I mean, so I can take, I can quite happily amuse myself doing other things for three weeks and not worry about it too much, to be honest. And then once we get kick into June, uh, we will need to get our skates on and that. But, you know, I mean, but I don't think they're necessarily dragging their heels. And obviously, well, obviously, I'm not going to say obviously, but um, stuff must be going on behind the scenes to like, um, and it it seems pretty evident to me that they don't want to do too much of this in public anymore. So, um, uh, and and what is done in public is just the kind of merry-go-round of stories and, you know, the um, whatever people need each day to, like, read and just digest and whether that's director of footballs or managers. But um, who I would like, I, d- I don't know, I'm just not really sure. I mean, Nagelsmann's not there now. Poch obviously isn't there now. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still of them. I'm still minded to think that, it's just, it's, I think it really is hard to predict whether someone is going to be a success when you get them in the door. It just really is. Because I don't think there's plenty of managers who have sprung to success when no one would necessarily think. I mean, Potch twice, once at Southampton and once at us, people thought, you know, who's this bloke? I mean, because I think who did Southampton sack someone that they were quite happy with, I think, didn't they? And they wondered what was going on. But um, And Potter at Brighton and everything. when he Nigel Pearson, there. wasn't it? Yeah, it was Nigel Pearson. It's Nigel Pearson they sacked. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, and I know that's not, you know, in the interview process, it must be quite hard to get a, a gauge. On the Nagelsmann thing, I just think perhaps um, uh, there was something that obviously wasn't compatible with us or there's something with us that wasn't compatible with him. I think he turned us down. Yeah, I think we looked at what happened when he turned Chelsea down and didn't want yeah. him blurting out to the press first to so try to get our, reven- you know, our retaliation in first. Um, but unfortunately, what the club said isn't very credible. The thing with Nagelsmann, though, is how do we know that he hasn't been approached by someone from Juve saying that that job's going to be available, PSG, and that job's available? And he thinks, 
well, you know, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a better chance of winning things with them than us, and you know, or I'll get paid more, or you know, what have you. It's a more prestigious club. I mean, all of those things are true. But we have to be brave, right? I mean, we have to be brave, and 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 we don't know what's true. And you know, Nagelsmann, I know, is a a big name, and so on. Maybe he is not the right man. I mean, if he's not showing any appetite for to come to us, and we're having to convince him and convince him, and convince him. And again, I don't, I wouldn't blame him. He would. Anyone looking at us would want more conclusive evidence that we know what the fuck we're doing. So it's it, it's it's yeah. sort of non-binary, isn't it? I mean, you just can't make a a, a judgment call on whether that's good or bad or. I mean, there have been some stories that Nagelsmann um, wanted more control over transfers, and I think there's some suggestions that he wanted input into who the director of football is. And for me, that's the wrong way round. And if that was what that. he was asking for, then we should we're right to walk away because yes. yeah, I think I want us to put a off-field structure in place that can survive the next manager and see us beyond that, and gives us that longer view. Yeah. And anyone that a manager has control over is inevitably going to have that you know short-term two, three-year. Uh, view because that's how long managers last uh, and we need to improve that longer term planning you know you know in terms of squad management and yeah. you know a lot of the pl- problems we've got at the moment is because there's just been too much short-termism for too long um i think you know interestingly i, I was looking at kind of how many games you know these candidates uh, you know, potentially have got so nagelsman we know he's out of the frame he's managed 315 like top flight you know, first team games ryan mason's is 11 Slot's done 158, so he's in his third job. Amarind, 172, is in his first job. Enrique, not including international games, the club games, 262. Alonso, 33. Deserby, 317. And I do think that, I think your point about it being kind of unknown, what you're getting, I think is true. I think a a manager who's got a decent track record at a few clubs, you've probably got a bit bit better idea what you're going to get. But... You know, I don't know. And in terms of, so I've been I've been watching a lot of Feyenoord over the last few weeks. You know, partly, you know, I watched you know a fair bit of sporting earlier in the season. I had you know Dutch football isn't as easy to watch here, so I was trying to catch up on that. I've watched a fair bit of them, and I've been reading up quite a bit on him. And I do think the one thing that with slot that we ought to be, I think, is quite encouraging is that the Feyenoord side he took over is Dick Advoca, who was there before him, and he was playing low block and counter football and he transitioned them to playing you know fast-paced attacking possession football um you know successfully um and that's a difficult transition to do as we were talking about earlier on in this pod and i think that's you know kind of relevant experience that we ought to be kind of you know interested in it's that you know it would be an encouraging sign whether he can do that in a more competitive league you know where he's under you know more scrutiny and higher pressure i don't know and i do worry a bit that the atmosphere in the club or with the fans at the moment is so um toxic that if you know that transition is going to be difficult that and he's not a bigger name is that people get on his back early on next season if we have you know a poor start to the season or we see mistakes creeping in as those players are struggling to adapt to the new system and new way of playing um and then we go we, it hits a death spiral before we even started you know that's a fear i've got um it's a it's a very legitimate one i mean you know just as an interesting aside as well uh i believe that one of slot's coaching team is robin van persie yeah. If I'm uh, not yeah. incorrect. So, <laughs> on a positive though, Steph. On a positive, Steph. You could have Arnie Slot, Arnie Slot, Arnie, Arnie Slot. He's got no hair, but we don't care. Arnie, Arnie Slot. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I, I like this for two reasons. Number one, you have 
piped up with a terrorist chant, which yeah. is a, which is always a pleasure um, uh, to hear from you. And and number two, it does bring us back to a little bit of communal jollity. Of course, the downside of that is it makes me think: Are we actually going to now have to go through another several years of sort of being? Where Martin Yole had us before we can get back to no. where Poch had no. us. I'm hoping not. No. So I, I see there is talk about the, the club wanting a project, but I don't think you know you don't get you're not going to get three years to build something at Spurs. Mm. You know, we're going to need to see immediate improvements. Yeah. Um, you know, next season, and it, that could just be how we're playing. But we're still going to need to be competing for Europe. We're not going back to base base camp. We're halfway up the mountain. We've just got to go from there. Sorry, I, I was just I was just about to say that, Milo. That I think the one advantage New Manager coming in has got is we've had sort of three four years of quiet sort of eye bleeding football. So when it comes to just like even if we're not even if even if the results ain't great, if honestly you've got an opportunity to entertain us, and that might carry you a little bit further than um, you know we just you know if you're proud of the team and you like the way we play that will carry you a few a good few months before people start then maybe getting uh, a bit toxic about other stuff but one thing i will say about slot is as a casual observation is he i think he might be an all right character a bit in the jolly mold you see mm-hmm. a bit like martin was mm-hmm. i think he's got that he's probably got a bit of that dutchness about him i don't i don't mean like steph's favorite lou van gaal dutchness i mean uh, i mean like martin yo dutchness i think he just looks like yeah, an all right yeah. bloke His his players are meant to really like him. He's meant to be very popular with the players, but works them hard. Smells like Spurs spirit to me. Here we are now. Entertain us, right? Maybe we're all maybe we're all gunning for the slot here. That's what it sounds like. We uh, we we may we may have come to some sort of quorum on slot. But uh, what we what we I'd be interested in right now is to find out what you all think about. Uh, the weekend's news which uh, confirmed that uh, Maurizio Pochettino is uh, going to be going to Chelsea uh, this is kind of locked in I oh, mean you know how, how do we feel about it and it is well worthy of, of, of five minutes of time I don't care what anybody says he's dead to me oh yeah I, for, I mean for me I think I think there's probably a bit of a lesson for us as fans you know managers and players don't feel about the club don't feel about us the same way that we do and yeah, people are really kind of emotionally invested in something where he's not emotionally invested in you. And he's Chelsea manager. I hope he fails. I couldn't, you know, I, he's dead to me. I couldn't give a fuck about him, frankly. And that's not, I, yeah, I like, I, I liked his time at the club, but that's gone. It's over. He's Chelsea manager. Yeah. Stop him. I mean, it is a hard, I mean, I think I said in our chat, it is a weird dynamic that someone, something that I love is now with something that I detest. And because I can't like, because I can't compute that, I feel kind of a bit sort of anxiety jittery about it because I'm not quite sure how to think about it or how to react to it. And and it almost makes me feel like my defence mechanism, and this relates to us having a new manager as well, my defence mechanism is almost like I might sort of turn, it almost feels like I need to just turn away from football because if what goes on next season happens, um, all the time at our club, we've got a new guy trying to do whatever. If he's starting to like pull up trees at Chelsea, then it's not going to take long for everyone just to feel fucking awful about that and just thinking, we fucked it again. We fucked it again. What's fucking going on? He was right there and we could have just phoned him up and all that kind of thing. And and it will be Chelsea as well that we get in the benefit of that. And I think like you said, Steph, they haven't got Europe or anything. So I think for a, for a man that needs to sort out his systems and sort out their squad, uh, that's a big leg up as well, isn't it? Let's face it. So And and because my turning away from football would be because I just don't want to be witnessing any of that going on because it will all be more uh, gut-wrenching. It's, but, it's, a, it's 
it's so interesting. So it's going to be three completely different takes on on this, which is which is you know this is why this pod works so well. Uh, we we come together on many things, and there are moments when we don't. Um, I I don't wish him good luck because he's going to be Chelsea manager, and you know I'm not a Chelsea supporter, and I'm not a Maurizio Pochettino supporter. Um, what I will say is I'm probably a little less upset about it because I feel that in terms of clubs, the one club that uh, I believe he would never have managed uh, was Arsenal. And I don't think he would ever have taken an advance from them and ever, ever have accepted that job. That's fine by me. Uh, I think that for me, we fucked him twice. I mean, well, once, uh, in my opinion. And then, you know, uh, look, I, I know that he was, you know, reportedly uh, looking to be, shall we say, at least courted by us again. And I think you both know. <laughs> On I think Instagram you both know. every other day. <laughs> right. But I think you both know that I have also had a very long standing uh, opinion that it would never be able to work with the current set, with the current higher up hierarchy setup hierarchical setup because there's just there's a lot of there was a lot of bad stuff that happened towards the end um and a lot of uh, a lot of feelings were, were were ruptured and a lot of relationships were fucked with unfairly i think and so that would have taken in a tremendous amount of address the bottom line is we didn't show the slightest bit of fucking interest so i mean for people who say that he doesn't care about what's he meant to do is he meant to sit there for the rest of his life or is he meant to say well i won't go to this job where i'm going to get the chance to actually win uh things that i've been told i'm incapable of winning because it might hurt my previous employers uh, i i i think arsenal would have been a step too far for me I, I i i say this is what it is it's going to hurt like hell it's going to be terrible to see it's going to be terrible to witness um but i'm not going to hold it personally against him whatsoever as a matter of fact it's just another damning indictment of what we got wrong all those years ago in terms of not backing him and uh, you could argue uh, what we got wrong this time but again the club took a direction and i have no problem with that either if we decided that I, we didn't want them for whatever reason, okay. Well, I wish we had, but you know that's that's the way it goes. Again, if he's going to want uh, uh, control over transfers and that kind of input, then it's not the right direction for us at the moment. So um, I think that's fine. Um, yeah. You know, it won't hurt me seeing him with him because you know I think fine. He's Chelsea manager. Fuck him. Yeah, basically. I mean, see, I, I'm I, with you on everything except for the last bit. It almost sounds like you're you're angry at him. No, not at all. No, him. not at all. Oh, okay. Because I felt the same about Tuchel. I felt the same about Potter. You know, Potter's a manager that I quite liked, and you know, but I don't, I don't like. You know, it's not a personal thing. He's Chelsea manager. Fuck him. Um, and I mean, I think it's an odd, it's an odd choice because I mean, obviously there's money to spend there, but the problem you've got is is, is Bowley going to start bowling and. Um, you know, that's that's that's, that's and, where and, we don't even have the conversation. Because do we give a fuck? We don't care. Well, right? no, no, so no. We don't but, care. We don't but, care. But, no, no, no. <laughs> it's in terms of is it the right move for him or what have you? I'm sure Potter got loads of assurances out of Bodie, and we then don't care. He's, and, he's and then the that choice. happened. You know, a year ago. Tuchel was, you know, Bodhi was trying to bring in Ronaldo above Tuchel's head. And, right. you know, he's he's going into a club that's every bit as fucked as ours. You see, that's the bit I don't care about. I don't care if he ends up falling short. You know, he's done his due diligence, it looks like. And the relationship is this. So whatever happens, happens. Well, I'm I just, it's the, the immediacy of the appointment I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with. I mean, I agree, with, I agree with yes. Steph that, I mean, we can't, I mean, obviously professionally and personally, Poch has to move on and, you know, he's, he's got a life to live and and he's a football manager so he's looking for a job and that. I mean, the best outcome we can hope for is that he just gets chewed up by the Chelsea machine and is spewed out six months down the line somewhere where he hasn't worked out for him. And I don't mean ill on him because of that, but I mean, the one outcome I don't really want is him being there affecting our dynamic with our new man and... Mm. 
you know, having that legacy hanging over us that he was just there and he could have come to us. Even if, like you say, Steph, even if it was the right decision for him not to come to us, it will still be used as a kind of stick, won't it? And because emotionally, emotionally, we do love him. Yeah, yeah. But most of the people who are going to wave that stick, mate, and this is a personal opinion I have. I have no verification Mm. for it. Most of those people are going to be the people who four years ago said it was the right decision to sack him. And now they're going to say it was the wrong decision not to take him back. This is the floating world of the internet Spurs supporter who, like, you know, reacts and doesn't have an original thought of their own. So, I mean, I think we're going to get some of those, but those are going to be the people who four years ago said, oh, yeah, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get a trophy winner in here. So it's like, fuck them. You know, really? <laughs> I mean, I, it's like, I mean, where were you when it counted? I think Poch is now probably on that little merry, merry-go-round of coaches who go between kind of the big clubs and they're there for a couple of years. You know, he's done PSG, he's done Chelsea. It means he'll probably do a stint at Real Madrid at some point. You know, maybe he'll pop up at Juve or what have you. And that's, a, you know, and then he'll end up kind of managing, I don't know, other wealthy clubs at a slightly lower level when his results drop off. And it's a nice little merry-go-round to get on because, you you know, you get an, a decent wage and get a payoff every couple of years and then you move on to the next job. And that's just, you know, um, there's, there's a handful of them. You know, Tuchel's in that category. Uh, Mourinho was. Um, he's probably a, a, a tier below that now, isn't he? Um, but, you know, there's a few that just kind of rotate around those jobs and it's a, it's a nice place to be. It suggests to me that the Real Madrid job is not up for grabs this summer after all, yep. because I feel that the reason he didn't but, confirm is because he was waiting for it. And Ancelotti's like, well, I quite like it here, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, if you get, if you can make yourself into the next Ancelotti, then that's a, it's a, it's a good place to be, isn't it? For yeah, a few years. Yeah, 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 it is indeed. I mean, I wouldn't wish a stint at Everton on him, but you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that might that that might well have made Ancelotti the uh, late time manager he is now. Maybe yeah. he would have faded into the distance without that chastening Everton experience. <laughs> Maybe Real Madrid wouldn't be benefiting mm-hmm. from his second reign. But uh, I, I, of course, am being somewhat sarcastic. Shall we? Shall we, shall we close? Move out? on to the Engl- yeah, the England yeah. under twenty. So Dane Scarlett and Alfie Devine are included in the England under twenty one. Sorry, under under twenty squad for the FIFA under twenty World Cup, which is being held this summer in Argentina. England's first game is on Monday the 22nd of May when they take on Tunisia, which is 7pm in, in the UK. Uruguay are the next opponents, which is on Thursday 25th of May at 7pm in the UK. In the final group game, they play Iraq, uh, which is on Sunday the 28th of May, again 7pm, um, with the top two group the teams or nations from their group progressing round to the last 16. Um, Dane and Alfie were part of the England squad that won the un, uh, under-19s European Championship last summer. So let's hope they can do it again. Um, and this means that Alfie Devine is unavailable. So he flew out this weekend. So he's unavailable for us for the rest of the season. Um, okay. I really Great. enjoyed the Euros under-19s last summer. I thought they did really well. It was, it was some good football. So they're a good team. Yeah. Great. I, yes. I think the other, the other thing to watch, actually, also... Also in the squad, so Ronnie Edwards, who's a centre-back, 20-year-old centre-back at Peterborough, who we've been heavy, heavily linked with, oh, okay. is also in the squad. So he's played 40 games in League One this season. Um, and then Alex Scott from Bristol City, who, you know, again, we were linked with heavily last summer, um, partnered Alfie Devine in midfield, um, and is a Spurs fan. Alfie, Alex Scott is a Spurs fan. Bring so him in. I just be... say, that make that the first transfers. Bring him in. It's a great Great midfielder, partner for Divine, and he's a fan. I want more fans in our, in our yeah. shirt on the pitch, even if they're no good. No, no, scrap right. that last bit. They have right. to be good. Ronnie Edwards is <laughs> Ronnie Edwards is from Harlow, so I don't know whether that's not far off our patch either, is it? So, um, don't know. But we'll, and we'll count whole, him as a the, half fan. Let's get him in. The whole thing's on Eurosport in the UK, which is less good news. Mm. I think. Um, Do you want to pick the last one up? Right. Uh, 
Yeah, that, yeah. I'll, I'll read it. Okay, Will Lankshire, our academy striker, has signed his first professional contract at the club, which runs until summer 2026. By the way, what a name! I think I said this the, the last time we mentioned him. I just love that name. It's such a such an old school British centre forward name, you know. And Lankshire is on the ball, and it's another one for his hat trick. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Will joined us from Sheffield United last summer and has made 13 appearances for the, the under 18s and under 21s, scoring five goals and two assists before an injury cut his season short. I want this to work out so well so as in several years time when we're still podding I can do that voice again and it actually is for real I think so you say on the names so we 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 just had an, you know, an Alfie go off to the World Cup we've got quite a few Alfies in the squad and I, Alfies, I'd be interested yeah. to see when was the last time we had an Alfie I reckon you've got a 40 50 year gap between Alfies at Spurs Definitely. Oh, we, we need another one we need another Alfie at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club because Tottenham only means something when there's an Alfie playing for him. Right? Remember that? Michael Winner. That's a very good Michael Winner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. I've suddenly been chopped to the knees again. There we go. Thanks, chaps. That was fun. By the way, that was actually for anyone who thinks that, that he's being serious. That was meant to be uh, Michael Caine. That was my shit Michael Caine impression. Uh, and you're welcome. But it did sound a bit like Michael Winner. Anyway, that was fun, chaps. Thank you. We, as ever, continue to make the best of, of the confusing. I think is the best way to put it, right? So, mm. thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week to discuss our last home game of the season against Brentford and the uh, the subsequent two hour uh, celebration of our season that the uh, players and staff will no doubt be enjoying, or something like that. I was going to say, you know, I'm prone to watching the games back at kind of two time two times speed. I reckon our walk around the pitch is going to look like that. If I if I watch the the <laughs> game, if I watch the game back on Spurs play at double speed, it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go new tips for you to enjoy your highlights on Spurs play as well you get it all with this pod anyway thanks for joining us folks and we'll see you next week see you next week see ya.